0: Lord, we thank you for your goodness, and we thank you just for just everything that defines who you are, Lord, and thanks for the uh, privilege and the opportunity and the responsibility to, uh, to just uh, dig a little deeper, to understand uh, who you are and how you relate to us and how you instruct us to relate not only to you, but to one another. And Lord, we uh, we're so grateful for who you are and for all that you do for us. And so help us just to celebrate that by uh, this brief time of reading your word together. And so, just have your way with us, please, in Jesus' name, Amen. Turn if you would to Colossians chapter three. Today we read chapter three, starting in verse eighteen. And that takes us to chapter 4, verse 1. I think whoever, you know, with all due respect, you know the chapter breaks weren't part of the original inspired scriptural text, right? They were added by human beings later. And I think the person that put chapter 4, verse, that did the chapter 3 and 4 break, I think that person was having a coffee break or something uh, when he did that because um the idea breaks uh, chapter 4, verse 1. So, that's why that's that. Um, Colossians is amazing book, is it not? Yes. The whole Bible is amazing book, is it not? Yes. Yeah, but Colossians, we really like. You ever notice this? Whatever book we're in, that's the awesome book. That's how it works. That's how it's supposed to work. Colossians is an awesome book. So, chapter 1, just for review, if you've not been with us, or if you've been asleep, or if you've been partially asleep, or if you've been mostly asleep or for any of a number of reasons. Chapter 1 told us that Jesus is preeminent. He's the head of the body of Christ. He holds the world together. He holds our lives together. He holds the situations together. He holds atoms together. And in a world that seems, and I use the word seems, in a world that seems chaotic... We need to know and be reminded that Jesus holds the world together, and he does it beautifully according to his plan. So if anything seems chaotic, it's not the least bit chaotic according to his perfect plan. It is from our perspective sometimes, but it's never from his chapter 2 started out that as we journey through life we do well to fix our eyes on Jesus we talked about that journey we talked about not getting distracted by the philosophy of of, uh, wisdom of man and stuff like that um, which is pervasive in our our world today then chapter 2 went on to talk about the examples of circumcision and baptism to illustrate the fact that Jesus did all the work catch this Jesus did all the work for us to have fellowship with him And our lives, therefore, are not some kind of religious duty whereby we work to win the favor of God. That's already been done. Our lives are a carrying out of the fellowship with God which he has made available and which he wanted to make available because of his great love for us. They're two fundamentally different things. One is we just love and appreciate God and all that he's done for us. And he wants to have fellowship with us. He longs to have fellowship with us. He continues to do all that's required to have fellowship with us. And we just have to basically live there and respond accordingly. The other is we're still trying. We're still trying. And the more we try, if we're honest with ourselves, the more we realize how incredibly incredibly limited we are in attaining any kind of righteousness, in attaining any kind of worthiness uh, for a holy God. And so the two, the two are fundamentally different, and we've got to get our heads around, I mean, that's basically the grace. That's grace we're talking about, is that it's all been done, and we're just living there. Chapter three, then, you know, kind of transition, well, if we're living this fellowship with God, what does that look like? Okay, And so chapter 3 basically began, chapter 3 and 4 are now moving into what does practical daily Christian living look like in the context of we're living in this fellowship with God. And it looks uh, like several things. Number one, uh, he gave us a list in chapter 3, verse 5 of things to put to death. Put to death those things that would interfere with our fellowship with God. And uh, chapter, chapter 3, verse 8 and 9, uh, he told us to put off some things, like we're changing clothes, like we put off our dirty clothes, we put off, and there's a list of things that are in verse 8 and 9 that would negatively impact our fellowship with one another. Because in this Christian life, because he has made fellowship with him possible, the natural outflow is twofold. Number one, we have fellowship with God. Number two, we have fellowship with one another because of our fellowship with God. And they're dependent, uh, the the fellowship with one another is dependent upon our fellowship with God. If we're walking according to the Holy Spirit, guess what? We're going to be gracious with our neighbors, right? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are all adjectives that describe how we interact with one another, right? And so we have fellowship with God, and therefore we have fellowship with one another. And it's a beautiful kind of um, two sides of the coin, if you will. So we put off those things that harm our fellowship with one another in chapter 3, verse 12 through 17. What we talked about last week was the things that we're supposed to put on. And honestly, in my mind, in my mind, perhaps in all the Bible, Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 through 17 is the gold standard list by how we are to interact with one another. Did that sound like a... um, like an emphatic point? Let me try it again. In all the Bible, Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 through 17, I believe, is the gold standard list for how we are to interact with one another. If, if we, now you're talking, if we would do that, if we would live that way, our world would be a different place. A fundamentally different place. So anyway, now we move on and finish out this last section of chapter, uh, three and consider this as I was thinking about this in terms of our interaction with, with other human beings, in terms of your interaction day by day with other people, in my mind, at least you interact with other people in the body of Christ, you interact with people in your family, uh, however that's defined. And you interact with people in the secular workplace, right? Now, that's not all-encompassing, right? You might have your Facebook friends or whatever that, are, that don't fit into one of those three categories. But by and large, a lot of our interaction with other people falls in those three categories. And our daily life falls in those three categories. And I think it's, 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 uh, it's, it kind of reinforces, in my mind, the relevance of the Bible because in, uh, chapter three, verse 12 through 17 that we talked about last week. You know, in chapter three, verse 12 through 17, I think in all the Bible, that's probably the gold standard list of how we're interacting with one another. So anyway, that's the people that's within the church, right? And then, uh, today we talk about in the home and in the workplace. Is that fair? So today we're going to talk about the home and the workplace. Now you may say, well, I'm not married. I'm going to zone out. That's your prerogative. You can do that. Um, you may say, I am married, my husband's a jerk, therefore I'm in to zone out, right? That's your prerogative, you could do that, right? But let me just suggest that these are great principles for life. These are great principles for life. And so often, so often, what apply, you know, the principles, it, it may not be our exact situation, but those principles are so I think in, enlightening in terms of who God is. And so I would encourage you at least not to zone out while we uh, talk about marriage, for example, um, uh, parent-child relationships, uh, and work relationships. Is that fair? You may not be employed uh, as an employee, but these principles still, I think, are, are helpful. So... What would happen, again, let me just, just for emphasis, what would happen if all of us in the body of Christ, number one, lived out verses 12 through 17 with other members of the body of Christ, and really everybody? Number two, lived out godly biblical principles in the marriage and in the home. And number three, lived out godly principles in the workplace. What would our world be like? Would that be crazy? It'd be super crazy. And so these are great standards for us. All right, ready? Ready. Ladies, ready? Ready. Game on, they say. Bring it. Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. All right, that's awesome. So um, we'll pick it up next week. Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting to the Lord. In the context of husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. All right? So these verses must be understood in context of each other. These are clearly two sides of a coin, okay, between husbands and wives. You ever notice that—well, I'll just say this— boy, you got to be careful with your words on these, these weeks. Uh, my kids are telling me, my kid, my, I, one of my, I think Nate was asking me, he says, so you going to do your whole marriage thing? Cause I have a whole marriage thing, right? <laughs> Apparently that's well, I guess that was what my family calls it. Uh, you can do that marriage thing. I'm like, well, yeah, I guess, you know, and in my mind, I mean, I'm thinking, you just got two little sentences there. We could blow over those pretty quick and move on to other things. Right. Um, But in my mind, because I've talked about, if you've been here any period of time at all, you've heard my marriage spiel and all the various aspects of my marriage spiels. And I love to give marriage spiels. I'm passionate about marriage spiels. And, uh, you know, we covered that in Ephesians and in more detail in Ephesians. But in my mind, just as a sort of a, a disclosure, in my mind, if God brings us back to it again in Colossians, he knew that if we were reading through the Bible, we caught it in Ephesians. And could it be that we might need a reminder in Colossians? Probably. When we get to 1 Peter, are we going to need another reminder? Yes. Yep. Yep. So, um, honestly, uh, I think the three, the three sort of marriage pieces in the New Testament are Ephesians 5, Colossians 3, and 1 Peter 3. So, um, we'll give Colossians 3 its due here. But anyway, it's fascinating. Let me just say this also. Again, I'm trying to hit bullet points as I'm thinking of them. Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter to them. Do you think that... Does it seem like marriage is that simple that it deserves two sentences? Anybody that's married, does all your, does all your marital challenge and, and let's just say growth together... Every wife in the room is nodding. Oh, no. Does all your marital challenge, you feel like it deserves two sentences? What's it deserve in the Christian bookstores? Shelves. Shelves Shelves and more shelves, right? And if you ever notice this, a Christian book on marriage, if it's more than three years old, it's old news, right? It's like, we've got got to have a new one. We've got to have a new one. We've got to have a new one. We've got to have a new one. And the Bible gives it, at least in the Colossians, Two sentences. And so let me just say this. I believe these two verses are sort of standards of interaction between husbands and wives. I don't think they're intended to cover, well, what if he does this? What if she says this? Well, what if he acts this way? Well, what if, you know, he treats the kids this way? It's not, these are, these are ideals, okay? And let me just say this, I'm saying that because I acknowledge that there are a variety of circumstances that people find themselves in the context of marriage. And I want to be very sensitive to that, very sensitive to that. But as it's stated here, we're just going to highlight really, and even as it relates to children, we'll talk about that in a minute, we're going to talk about really the ideals. Okay? Are there exceptions to the ideal? Yeah, there are always exceptions and that's not taking it out of context. That's, that's in the context of Scripture. I'll, I, I can, we can go there if we need to, but um, uh, Paul gives a lot more detail elsewhere about specific situations and, and all of that. But what we're talking here, the purpose in here is the concepts, the overall ideals. So, But I think it's probably helpful to get our heads around this. Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter to them. It's probably good for us to help get our heads around that. And the best commentary on Scripture is Scripture. scripture. Turn to the left, Ephesians chapter 5. Raise your hand if you're surprised that I I said let's turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Right. See, everything's predictable. Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 22. I really believe this is the best context for us, for this idea of husbands, love your wives, wives, submit to your husbands. Ephesians 5, 22 to 25, we'll read, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. Now we've been talking in Colossians, right? That should come as no surprise. Colossians chapter 1 told us that Christ is the head of the church. And so these things are kind of fitting together a little bit. The husband's the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he's the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her by the, with the washing of water by the word. So let's look at these just. Let's just look at these 22 to 25 part. Why submit to your own husbands. For the husband's the head of the wife, just like Christ is the head of the church. I want you to hold on to that idea for a minute because many of you just noticed that. And you're troubled by that. I understand that. Uh, therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be subject to their own husbands in everything. Again, this is an ideal. And husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. All right? So I want to first talk about this headship thing. We said that Christ is the head of the church. Colossians chapter 1, we've been talking about that. Now, is Christ, and, and Christ is preeminent in the church. I said it in the beginning. I've been saying it for several weeks now. So is Christ, like, bigger and more amazing and more important and more critical and more all of that than the church? Yes, how do we rate in comparison to Christ? Hugely inferior. Infinitely inferior, right? So is that what he's talking about? I don't think quite. So, or not exactly. Turn back to the left, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And I think this is important. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. Paul's here just, just for context. Paul's given some specific instructions uh, to the Corinthians uh, regarding various things. Um, but he says, I want you to... But he, he kind of makes this, this sort of parenthetical statement in the midst of that that I think is very enlightening for us. He says, but I want you to know that the head of every woman... I'm sorry. I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ... The head of woman is man. That's what we just read in Ephesians. And the head of Christ is God. All right? So the head of every man is Christ. The head of woman is man. And the head of Christ is God. So let me just say this. So in that sense, you've got, if you're just going to talk about about. If you are going to talk about it in terms of importance, you'd say God, Christ, man, woman. Ladies, you notice who was on the bottom of that totem pole that I just described? Right. You notice that, right? But wait a minute. And so it makes sense if I say God, God, the father, Christ, man, woman, it makes sense that Christ is above man and woman. Is that fair? You okay with that? Right? Even the ladies are okay with that, right? But what about God is head over Christ? What's that sound like? That's kind of, you got to unpack that, right? Is God the Father more important than Jesus Christ? No. 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 Does God the Father, in the context of the Trinity, as best as we can understand it, which is limited, to be fair, but does God the Father play a different role than Jesus Christ in the work of the Trinity, such that Jesus Christ is submitted to the authority of God the Father? Is that a fair statement? But we just said that God the Father is not more important than God the Son. Is that a fair statement? So, therefore... Is the fact that God the Father, an authority over God the Son, does that change their importance at all? No. Because they're equal. We're just talking about different roles. So we have to unpack it a little bit. When we're talking about Colossians chapter 1, Jesus is the head of the church. We're talking about, yeah, he is more important. Yes, he is our supreme authority. Yes, he is all of that. But then as it breaks down further, we have to understand in the context of 1 Corinthians that when it talks about the the husband and the wife, I don't believe at all that it makes biblical sense that we're talking about the husband is more important than the wife. We're just talking about that they carry out different roles, just like God the Father carries out a different role with his equal, God the Son, right? And so men and women in in the home according to a biblical standard, have different roles, but not different levels of importance or dignity or anything like that. Does that make sense? Okay. Back to Colossians. I'm sorry, back to Ephesians. Back to Ephesians. I'm sorry. So the bottom line is, if we can say, okay, what... So... My, my hope is we can lay to rest this idea that the man is more important than the wife. That's just, that's just wrong. That's just wrong. And let me just say this. I've encountered too many men that think that. I've encountered way too many men that think that. I've encountered too, way too many men that, um, that take... Wives, submit to your husband out of context. And honestly, Tracy and I have sat with many wives and have encouraged them, this is not what submission is. What you're being asked to do is not what submission is talking about. And for that, I would take you to the uh, Acts chapter, I believe, 6. Remember Ananias and Sapphira? Right? Ananias, the husband, had this great idea. Right. Everybody's giving money to the church. It looks awesome. Everybody that every time somebody gives some, something to the church, they say you're awesome. And who doesn't want to who doesn't want people to say you're awesome, right? We all want that, right? And so Ananias comes up with this thing, and it says, "And Sapphira along with him, where they sold a piece of property." They gave part of it to the church, but they said that was all of it. And so the way Peter describes it is they lied to the Holy Spirit. Let me suggest you don't do that. So Ananias walks in. Peter says, is this how much he sold the land for? Yep. Am I awesome? No, you're dead. Boom. Right? He drops dead. Who walks in a couple hours later? His submissive wife. Right? That's who she is. She's a submissive wife. She went along with this plan. Right? Hey, did you and your husband sell that for that amount of money? Yep, sure did. Am I awesome? Nope, you're dead. Boom. So, submission is, uh, must be taken in context. Must be taken in context. Now, on the other hand... Wives, submit to your husband. So what, what about in context? Have you ever noticed that two people have maybe just a different idea of if we should zig or zag at this point in the road, right? Ladies, let me just, as a man, let me just throw something out at you. Let me give you man 101. This is manhood 101, Right? On those things that probably don't really matter, just roll with him, Right? And I bet you'll find him to be uh, more appreciative. Not always. This is, I'm talking about ideals now. I bet you'll find him to be more appreciative. I bet you'll find him to uh, act more like a... a a God-honoring man? I'll tell you this. This is man 202 now. Ladies, you beat up on your man, you tell him what's wrong with his shirt, you tell him what's wrong with his, uh, you know, with his shoelaces, you tell him what's wrong with this and that. We always joke about these things, right? Like, we always joke that we heard a guy one time say, I thought I knew how to park a car until I got married, right? So ever since then, uh, we always joke, you know, I like pulled into a parking lot, right? And there's 3,000 spots, right, at Walmart. And I say, Where do you want me to park, right? And she says, Oh, wherever you like, honey, which is awesome, right? Makes me say, I'm a big boy now. I graduated from, I graduated from high school, and I can park a car. In the spot that I think is is ideal, so if it 's something like that, just just roll just humor him, right just humor him, okay on the other hand, you show me a husband whose wife just picks at him like I forget what species forgive my uh, my primate biology, but there 's a certain primate, maybe some of you guys can help me out there 's a certain primate at the zoo that that they just pick at each other. They pick the flies off, they pick the hair. You know which one I'm talking about? It's the little guy. It's, well, it's, it's, it's a kind of monkey. I, I forget what it is. Does I know? Can you give me like genus and species? No, nobody can give me genus. So it's the one that picks at the other one, right? You show me a husband whose wife does that, and I can give you a, I can give you a visual. Check this online. If, you're, if your audio, sorry. You show me a woman, show me a man whose wife treats him like that. I'll show you a man who walks around like this. It's pathetic. It's pathetic. You want to turn, you want to make him a marshmallow, you'll make him a marshmallow. And ladies, let me just tell you this. You don't want to be married to a marshmallow. You want to be married to a man. Right? Not a man that's going to take, you know, Submission to an to a abusive extreme. I'm not talking about that. But you don't want to be married to a marshmallow, period. You want to be married to a man, right? Wow. But I'm, I'm, it, is, it is super sad. I can look at it. I can sometimes talk to a guy. I don't know. I just, I don't know. So uh, what are you going to have for lunch today? I can't decide between chicken or fish. I'm afraid I'll make the wrong decision. That's no way to live. That, honestly, that's sad. It's super sad. Super sad. I've met too many of those guys. I've met too many of the over-the-top guys. I've met too many of, the, of those guys. Reality is that probably, well, I don't know if I've met more of one or the other. <laughs> too many of both. Right? Wives, submit to your husband. That means support him. Encourage him. Right? Don't be threatened by the biblical order of things. He's not more important than you. He just plays a different role. God gave him a different brain than he gave you. Yours is awesome. It's not inferior. It's just a different brain. He, is, he was created by God to lead To be a leader. And if he's married, he was created by God to lead that home. Let him. Within parameters. You understand what I'm saying? Within biblical parameters. Now, does that mean don't ever give him a suggestion? No. Eve was given to Adam as a what? Helper. Why do you think Eve was given to Adam as a helper? Because Adam probably needed help, right? Now, that's a little bit delicate because sometimes the man doesn't want that help and... That whole thing, right? You can take, ladies, you can take help to an to a unhealthy extreme. Does that all make sense? So that's why I submit to your own husband. Let me just tell you one other thing as I'm thinking about it. There's a fascinating verse in Titus chapter 2 that tells older women to teach the younger women some things. And specifically, one of those is to love their husbands. Now, we've talked before, and, and many of you, if you've heard Bible teachers for any period of time, you know there are basically three Greek words for, that we translate love, right? There's eros, like a physical love, right? There's phileo, which is like a brotherly love, and there's agape, which is like unconditional, godly-type love, right? Now, check this out. Older ladies teach the younger ladies to love their husbands, which do you think it is, agape, phileo, or eros? If you don't know, don't raise your hands. I'm sorry, if you do know, don't raise your hands. But raise your hand if you think, just based on what I understand of life and marriage and God all that, I'll bet it's agape, that unconditional love. Raise your hand if you think it's that. It's phileo. It's phileo. I think this is crazy insightful that the Bible wrote it this way. It's phileo. What does that mean? That means older women teach the younger women to be a fun partner to hang out with that dude. Right? The monkey that picks at her husband, monkey, Is that lady fun to be around? Is she phileoing that guy? Oh, she may be giving him what he needs unconditionally, right? And, And there's nothing wrong with unconditional love, please. But I just think it's it's fascinating that women are admonished to basically be a friend to your husband. Be a friend to your husband. He didn't need another mother. He needs a friend. It wasn't that good. (laughs) He does not need another mother. He needs a friend. Ladies, ladies, how many times have you felt like, or maybe said out loud, or complained to your girlfriends, I feel like I got three kids, and one of them's this big. Right? I just got another kid. Right? Well... That's probably a revealing statement. Does he do stuff that's goofy? Yeah. We know that. Just roll with it. Does he do stuff that you think, really? Yeah, just roll with it. I mean, if it's reckless, no, don't roll with it, right? If you think it's going to, you know, impale the kids or whatever, no, don't roll with it, right? But I think if God is God and God put us together then God knows these things. Is that fair? All right, that's why I submit to your husbands. Now, husbands, Ephesians 5, 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Wow, what a responsibility. So you see this analogy? This is one of the greatest metaphors in the Bible. The husband and wife are given by God as a human relationship that we can look to in order to gain insight into the relationship the church has with Jesus. That's amazing. And in that metaphor, if you will, the church is the bride and Jesus is the groom. Okay? Now, we talked about wives, submit to your husbands. Okay? Okay? Jesus is like the groom and the the church is like the bride. So therefore the church the, the groom the, the groom of a marriage the man is supposed to take on the role of Jesus. Are you kidding me? Is that a job? That's a job. So in the church's role with, with, you know, we've talked about sovereignty and responsibility, okay? And I think we can never deny God's sovereignty. I'm, I'm, so I'm not taking away from responsibility, but right now I'm talking about God's sovereignty. In the relationship that, between Christ and the church, who does all the initiating? Christ or the church? Christ. Who is the one that goes the extra mile, Christ or the church? Christ. Who's the one that makes everything work for that relationship, Christ or the church? Christ. Who bears the infinitely greater responsibility for the health of that relationship, Christ or the church? Christ. Who bears the greater responsibility in the marriage, the husband or the wife? The husband. husband. And let me tell you, husbands, if you think, man, my wife doesn't respect me, she doesn't submit to me, well, then act like Christ. It's not, it may and probably is not her problem. At least. Not completely. And probably it's most, I've, I've, I've honestly read a lot of books about this, right? Did I say I've obviously? Or I said I honestly. Because I hope I didn't say obviously, cause i obviously. Because there's nothing obvious about my marital insight. I'm still, just caveat. Husbands love your wives. There's lots of ways you love your wife, right? This morning, I'm making coffee. Because I kind of make the coffee in our family, because I take good care of me. And so I make the coffee, I say, anybody else want coffee? Trace says, yeah, I'll take some coffee. And so we get in the car, she says, I'm carrying this other stuff. She's carrying bags for the, anyway, she's carrying other stuff, and, and she says, Can you bring the, can you grab those two cups of coffee? And I said, sure. So I grab my mug and her mug, I get in the car, I set them both down in the cup holder, I walk in. Right, Living, Doing my normal drill, right? We sit down to worship. I'm drinking my... She says, is that mine? Oh, yours is in the car. I left it in the car, right? I left it in the car. So I need help too. So uh, God has letting me do these things lately that... Uh, so bear with me. Um, it's a work in progress. So if I ever said I've obviously read a lot of books, that's clearly not the case. But I've read... I have honestly read a lot of books about marriage, and, and that was going to take me back to a point that I lost. <laughs> Husbands. Yes. Husbands. Re- uh, there's a well-known author. I won't identify him by now because it was an old book. I'm, uh, anyway, he said, if you show me a husband and wife that have a challenge, unless, uh, unless she's been unfaithful, he said... In my experience, it's always primarily the husband's fault. Now, that's a str- those are strong words. And that's why I tell you that's his words, right? I'm not sure I would say always, but I would say more often than not. Because we're talking about Christ in the church, right? It all falls back on Jesus. Thank God he's, thank God he's Jesus. But in the, in the marriage, it so often falls back on the husband. Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. That means nurture her, protect her, die for her daily. Be, be what she needs. Study her. Know what, know what it is that makes her tick. Hang out with her. Express a desire. We, we have, Tracy and I, have a blast together. If I have a free day, I want to hang out with my wife. Be that person. And guess what? Ladies, if, a husband, if your husband treats you like Christ treated the church, would you be okay submitting to that? You bet you would. You bet you would. That's the whole point of the Christian experience, right? Right? The the whole Christian life, what I said at the beginning, right? It's not a religion, it's a relationship, it's fellowship with God, right? How does the whole thing work? The whole thing is that Jesus did everything we need, as Peter tells us. He's given us all we need for life and godliness. He did everything to create fellowship. And what do we do, the bride of Christ? We just respond. Ladies, what's your duty? Respond to his love. Say thanks. Say, sure. Sure. I mean, as long as he's you know, not in Ananias and Sapphira territory or something crazy, and we all know what the something crazy is, by and large, as long as he's not in that range, right? He has an idea you think it's harebrained, ask yourself, do I really need to pick this one apart? You know, and I'm not saying just be like silent and, and you know like the rag doll that, you know, Tracy and I used to laugh, you know, we'd do this like where she was a doll, right? Like, you ever seen one of those, like you pull the string and the doll says something different each time, right? So I'd pull her string, you know, we said, I'd I'd poke on her because she didn't have a string in her back, but I'd poke on her, right? And she'd say, you're awesome, right? And then I'd poke on her on the shoulder and she'd say, whatever you want, honey. And then I'd poke her on the back and she'd say, that was a great idea, right? I'm not talking about that. Right, she might need, He might need help. He might need a suggestion. He might need a little fine-tuning. Guess what? That's why God gave you to him. Right? So, I think that's all I have to say about that. Colossians chapter 3, verse 20. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. I think it's important that these are both in the context of one another as well. And this is, again, a similar description of the biblical order in the home. Again, it's not all-encompassing, right? If children, if your parents ask you to do something that's unbiblical or immoral or just wrong, no, you don't obey that. You do it, uh, you know, Ephesians chapter 6 says, uh, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Interestingly, the word for children doesn't specify an age. That seems intentional, honestly. Now, as children age, the relationship does change. But there's still an authority structure in the home. And I've noticed this one of the things you know cuz i have older, older adults in my home and i noticed that as as children transition into adulthood, and as you know, you're kind of thinking about sort of launching them off to, to life and you know, their next chapters and all of that things, there is an interesting thing that they need to learn that is uh, often not learned by the time they leave home. And that is they need to learn how to deal with authority. Is that fair? When a child leaves a home, when a child grows up, and you can call that whatever age you, you envision or whatever situation or whatever, they need to understand how to deal with authority. They need to understand how to respond to authority. If they're in a position of authority, they need to understand how to live in that position of authority. And so I think, honestly, that's one of the roles that the home is to play, is to uh, help Children grow up learning how to say, yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. It's okay to say, yeah, sure. Now, on the other hand, fathers, do not provoke your children unless they become discouraged. Right? And it's probably no mystery that, uh, you know, he said fathers and not mothers, because fathers are probably the ones that are more likely to do that. And so... Uh, we need to understand, and, and uh, this has honestly been a process for me. It's been a huge process for me. Just learning that, you know, children can be fragile. We're all fragile in some regard or another. And uh, and let me just encourage you fathers, as I feel like I've had to learn, sometimes the hard way, sometimes not, that everybody has sensitivities They're not always the same. But they're always there. And every child has a button that can be pushed that pushes them to the point. Doesn't say don't flip them out. Don't kill them. Doesn't say don't don't maim them. (laughs) It says don't provoke them to the point of being discouraged. That's a very humbling and convicting statement in the scripture to me as a father. I don't want to discourage my kids. So that's a process. I want to love my wife. I want to love my kids. Those are different roles. There are all kinds of different roles in the home. But fathers, don't provoke them to the point of discouragement. And again, let me just say something else. Really, just like marriage, biblical roles between parents and children, just like biblical roles between husbands and wives, don't imply importance. They imply roles. And I gotta say this on tape. Children in our society are regarded too often as subordinate human beings that are one day gonna grow up and become real human beings. They're like a subspecies in our society. There's something we got to take care of, like we got to change the oil on the car. That's wrong. That's wrong. Children are highly valued by God. Jesus demonstrated that, right? Children are highly valued by God. Does God know that they can be challenging? Does God know they can be loud? Does God know they pee their pants? Does God know they make messes? Does God know they spill, on average, more than we do? Yeah, yeah. The point is, all human beings must, please hear this. Please hear this. All human beings must be treated with dignity, period. All human beings must be treated with dignity. So that transitions to the workplace. Bond servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. So we talked about the home. Okay. I'd like to think we covered our bases in the home, right? Did we cover that? Do we cover wives, submit to your husbands, husbands love your wives? We covered that. now we move to the workplace, bond servants. Now, in those days, they had bond servants. I think we, for our cultural context, could translate that employees. Is that fair? Employees, obey in all things your masters. Let's not use the word master, let's use the word boss, because bond servants and masters gives a a connotation that probably is not really how it's to be applied here. So, employees, obey in all things your boss, according to the flesh, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. Now, ask any employer, ask your, ask your employer this. Maybe if you know the head of the company or whatever, if, however your role works. Ask any, and let's just say small business. Ask any small business owner or employer, in our society, especially today, ask them what their number one challenge in carrying out the daily duties of that business is. And I'll bet you, I'm not one, but I'll bet you a dollar, what they'll tell you is the biggest challenge is getting a critical mass of faithful workers who will pass a drug test, show up on time, and do what they're told, whose daddy taught them about authority. Right? Clearly, that's, that's probably a bigger deal than the cost of goods or you know, whatever. I hear it all the time. Nobody can find a faithful employee, it seems like. So let's us be that person. Notice not with eye service. That means we work with integrity, right? We talked about this I think last week or the week before, integrity matters. Integrity matters. Employees, show up for work, pass the drug test, show up on time, do what you're supposed to do. Give, give that person an honest day's work for an honest wage and respect the authority. It's not complicated, no. but it would appear that it is complicated in our society, right? And by the way, just even from a secular standpoint, let me just tell you what I always tell my kids. Many of you have heard me say this before. I tell my kids, every job is an interview for the next job. Now that doesn't mean you're like ditching this job, but let me just tell you that what you do for that employer today, yeah, you're carrying out the duties that, of, that, of that task but you're also making an impression on whether that person wants to promote you or whether that person wants to kind of marginalize you. Does that make sense? Some of you, many of you heard me say this before. I'm sorry if I'm going off. I learned a long time ago, a long time ago. If I want somebody to, let's say if I want you to paint my house, I'm looking for somebody to paint my house and I'm going through the phone book, right, and everybody says, yeah, I'm awesome, I'm awesome, I'm awesome, and I'm like, yeah, right. Right? I'm looking for somebody to paint my house. What I'm going to do is I'm going to have my shed out back, and I'm going to call that guy, and I'm going to say, hey, I'm looking for somebody to paint my shed. Can you come over and paint my shed? he say, yeah, I'm awesome. I'll take care of that. Do I really care about painting the shed? Well, kind of, maybe. But what am I doing? I'm watching. I'm watching. I can't tell you how many times that saved me hire a guy for this kind of a job, you know, around the house or whatever, you know, have some guy, you know, come out and do this kind of job, and I gladly (laughs) write him a check and say, see ya, right, for the little job. And then I go back to looking for another guy for the bigger job, right? Why? Because integrity is rare. Faithfulness is rare. People whose daddy taught him about authority is rare. But on the other hand, it's an opportunity for those of us who want to be that person, right? If you want to be that person, let me tell you this in, t- in 2021. If you want to be that person today, it's your call. The, jobs, the job market's open to you. So that's a secular segue. Sorry. Verse 24. I'm sorry, 23. 23. And whatever you do, look at this. This is so sweet. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Keep in mind that if you're working for, that you're working for God, if you've got a job, if you got a job, you're working for the Lord. That's a stewardship. That job is a stewardship that you've been granted. Do it as if you're working to the Lord because you are working for the Lord. And by the way, that should affect everything we do. Everything we do is for the Lord, right? If our lives are surrendered to the Lord, if we're, uh, you know, if we're subject to him in everything, if we give our lives over to the Lord, that affects our our work ethic, right? It should totally affect our work ethic. So everything you do is as to the Lord. Knowing that from the Lord... Verse 24, you will receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ, but he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done and there is no partiality. So even if your boss is a jerk, right? And we all have, we've all understand that. Even if your boss is a jerk, right? God knows. God sees your integrity. God can bless you above whatever that boss is going to do. And, you know, there may be time when, just as a matter of principle, you need to move on. That's okay. That's between you and the Lord. But God knows. God will reward accordingly. And then finally, the other side of that, chapter 4, verse 1, masters, give your bondservants what is just and fair. Let's just say this. Bosses, give your employees what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Remember that authority thing we said? You know, the wise boss. Remember the centurion that came to Jesus? And uh, you don't have to turn there. Matthew chapter 8, starting in verse 5. Now when Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home, paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. Remember this guy? Jesus said to him, oh, I'll come and heal him. The centurions answered and said, Lord, Lord, I'm not willing that you should come under my roof, but only speak the word and my servant will be healed. For I am also a man under authority, having soldiers under me. So I have, I'm under authority, but I also have soldiers under me. I understand authority. I understand both sides of it. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed "Assuredly, surely I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. So let me just say this to employers. God sees the big picture. God sees how we're treating our employees. And if you're one of those employers who understands authority, yeah, you're under authority, and yes, you have people that work for you. God bless you if you understand biblical authority. The wise boss is the one that realizes that, and he also needs to be intentional. By the way, how many wives would like to submit to a husband that treats him like Jesus? By the way, how many employees would like to work for an employer who understands Colossians chapter 4, verse 1, watch this in our day, in 2021. I'm kind of intrigued by social dynamics, right? we got an employee crisis. I believe we're going to see a pretty mass migration, a continued mass migration of employees in America. And I think they're going to settle in on working for the guy that acts, the guy or gal that understands Colossians chapter four verse one. Because if if I'm an employee, right? Let's say I'm a car mechanic, and there's 12 there's 12 car repair shops in town that are all hiring. Am I going to work for the jerk? No, they're probably all paying similar, right? So who am I going to work for? I'm going to work for the nice guy. People are going to be lined up working for the nice guy. The jerk's going to be like, "Uh, I can't find anybody to help. And by the way, you know what the jerk's going to say? The jerk's going to complain about the workforce of America these days and their work ethic and he's going to talk about this and that and, you know, he's going to sound very generational, (laughs) like I used to think my dad sounded and now like I sound. (laughs) Right? So bosses, understand chapter 4, verse 1. So, because we are the children of God, because he is making us more like Jesus, that should affect how we live and interact with one another in the church, with one another in the home, and with one another in the workplace. We're never outside the vision of the Lord. God sees our situation. God understands our situation. God sees where we go. God sees how we interact. God makes everything available to us to have fellowship with him. All we have to do is live in it and live accordingly as we interact with one another. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you that you are so good to us, so good even to give us these super practical nuggets from your word. Lord, help us to embrace them. Help us not to try to come up with a better way to live out marriage. Help us not to try to come up with a better way to live out uh, roles in the home. Help us just to embrace what you call call us to do. Help us not to try to figure out a better way to uh, gain the upper hand as an employee or even as an employer. But Lord, help us just to follow these biblical principles knowing that you are God and that you gave these words to us as instruction from a loving God who loves us dearly and wants the best for us. Lord, thank you that you Give us these words. Help us to live by them. In Jesus' name, amen.